0: Good day, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. So glad that you are here. Hey, Megan. Hey, Lewis. Good afternoon, Rob. Oink says, fasten your seatbelts. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably w- well advised. Uh, Child of Elohim, good morning. Your two-year-old grandbaby is dancing the music. Excellent, excellent. Hey, Dale. Lewis says, Doug might just break the internet finishing up with Romans 11 <laughs> this week. If not today... Monday, Monday is going to rock your world. If you have not studied what we're going to get to on Monday, but I'll save that for then. Rob says yes, but Roman 12 is where it's at. You know, I'm glad to hear you say that 12 13, 14 and on. Here's what I predict. Here's what I predict that the number of viewers will go down starting at chapter 12. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) Why did the Masorites change the Old Testament is a better question. Well, maybe so. All right, so we're in uh, chapter 11, and we're in that portion that says, all Israel will be saved. Now, I laid the foundation yesterday for us to remember that there's a lot of present tense, now, current event language in chapter 11. Do you remember what I mean by that? Paul is not talking about distant future. He's talking about his day. Let me, let me go back and point out some of this chapter 11 begins with, I say, then did get did get did God cast away his people, let it not be for I am also an Israelite. Currently, Paul's talking about himself in the first century. I'm an Israelite, so God didn't cast his away. Look at me. Right? He goes on and says, verse five, so then also in the present time, there has come to be a remnant according to the selection of grace. In Paul's day, in the present time for him, God is saving a remnant. What then? What Israel seeks after, present tense for Paul, it did not obtain, the chosen obtained, the rest were hardened, as is written, and he talks about the hardening and so on. Did they stumble that they may fall? No. But by their salvation, I'm sorry, by their fall, salvation is to the nations. Now, the is here is in brackets, meaning it's not in the original Greek, but it is the implied to be verb. And their fall is riches for the world, right? So I just want you to see that he's talking about his day. And the fulfillment of prophecies in his day. So now to verse 25, for I do not wish you to be ignorant brothers, brothers of this secret. that you may not be wise in your own conceit. So he's, we we talked about this yesterday. um, Mystery, that which was hidden that has now been revealed. I want you to know what's been revealed so that you're not conceited. that a hardness in part, it's a partial hardening to Israel, has happened until the fullness of the nations may come in. Okay, so we covered all that yesterday, but notice the, the partial hardening and the temporary hardening. When the fullness of Gentiles come in, then the hardening will be lifted. That's the implication. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. According as it has been written. Now I notice Renee Fry, welcome brother, wants to go to Galatians 6.16. But Paul doesn't go to Galatians. Paul goes to Isaiah. So we're going to go to Isaiah. So all Israel will be saved according to as it has been written. There will come forth out of Zion. He who is delivering and so on. So we're going to go back and look at that because Paul's telling us this is how Israel is going to be saved. That Isaiah already predicted it. So there's a hardening in part, and for a time, just as Isaiah said would be the case. So as I've told you again and again and again, when you see the New Testament quoting from the Old Testament, you got to go back and read the Old Testament. All right, so we're going to do that. Chapter 59. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1 to catch the context. Uh, what you see in Isaiah over and over again is the prediction of the fall of Jerusalem in 586, and then the prediction of Messiah and restoration of the people, and all these things are kind of interwoven. So Paul here is seeing God's anger that is going to be poured out on Jerusalem. Okay, so that's, that's the setting. God is angry at the Israelites. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Okay, so the reason God isn't doing anything is not because his hand is suddenly uh, incapable, or he can't hear what's going on. Rather, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Right? The iniquities of the Jews have made a separation. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. So now God is laying out the sins of the Israelites, which has caused God to separate from them and to be angry. That's why he's not saving them, because they're wicked. No one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Sounds like Isaiah is writing about the US or Europe or just about every nation these days, doesn't it? They hatch adders eggs and weave the spiders web he who eats their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed a snake breaks forth. So everything is poison, everything's deadly. Their webs will not become clothing, nor will they cover themselves with their works, their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. Anybody recognize these sentences? Have we seen them before? They're from Romans 3, right? Remember there, Paul is not quoting the Old Testament so much to condemn Gentiles, but to condemn the Jews. This is God expressing the wickedness of the Israelites. Yeah, good job. Lewis. They do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us. This is now uh, the Israelites speaking in Isaiah maybe and righteousness does not overtake us. See, we're not overcome with justice and righteousness because we're wicked. We hope for light but behold darkness for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation. But it is far from us. Why for our transgressions are multiplied before you And our sins testify against us for our transgressions are with us. And we know our iniquities transgressing and denying the Lord and turning away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the street and uprightness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking. And he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Think about that line. If you repent and move away from evil, you become a prey. Can you imagine being in a nation where people who speak truth and who try to do what is right are persecuted by others, by the government, for instance? Yeah, sadly, we can relate to that, can't we? So that's the status of the Israelites as Isaiah is writing. Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. So those who are leading and ruling those who are the uh, the judges, the courts, the, the attorneys, the lawmakers, all of them, there's no justice. They're all corrupt and wicked. Again, sounds pretty close to home. And he saw that there was no man and he was astonished. There was no one to intercede. God looks at Israel and he says, why isn't somebody rising up to turn this around? Why isn't somebody standing up and exposing all this wickedness and calling it out and trying to bring reform and change? There was none. God was astonished. Then his own arm brought salvation to him, and his uprighteousness upheld him. God says, "No one, none of you are going to do it? All right, I'll do it. He put on righteousness like a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. Now, you know what this is, right? This is what Paul quotes in Ephesians 6. We call it the armor of God. It's his breastplate and his helmet. It's God's. And notice the context here is not what we normally think of. This is righteousness and salvation bringing justice to an unjust nation. You should, again, study this context when you're reading Ephesians 6. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. See, this is not gospel in the way we normally think of gospel. He wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle according to their deeds. So he will repay wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the coastlands. He will make recompense. God is coming and he's going to destroy all the people in Jerusalem and the people beyond who are committing such wickedness. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the West and his glory from the rising of the sun. He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. So justice, vengeance, recompense, and then a redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. So God is coming. He's coming in vengeance. He's putting on his armor to fight against the evildoers. But there's also going to be a Redeemer, a Deliverer, coming to Zion. And he's coming to those who turn from transgression. Let this be a warning to you in Jerusalem. If you repent, if you turn from the evil ways, then you will be delivered from God's judgment. See that? The Redeemer is coming to Zion. And he's coming to those who repent, who turn from their transgression. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit, which is upon you. Now, here's something that you've got to uh, pay attention to. Well, you can't. In English, you does not designate whether it's singular or plural. and Because of that, you miss something here in English. This is my covenant with them. With who? those who turn from transgression, those who are repentant in Zion. This is my covenant with him. My spirit, which is upon you. This is singular. This is talking about the Redeemer. When the Redeemer or Deliverer comes, God says, my spirit is upon you and my words, which I've put in your mouth, this Redeemer, this Deliverer is going to come and he's going to speak God's words. And those words will not depart from the deliverer's mouth or the redeemer's mouth, nor from the mouth of your seed, your offspring. So this redeemer is going to have offspring. And the offspring are going to have offspring. And the words of the Lord are going to be upon all of them by his spirit from now on and forever. All Right? So you see what's going on here, right? Deliverer is coming to Zion to those who turn from their transgression. God's going to put his spirit on this deliverer. His word's going to be put in the mouth of the deliverer, the Redeemer, and his offspring and his offspring's offspring. So that's what Paul quotes in Romans 11 when he says, All Israel will be saved as it has been written. There will come forth out of Zion he who's delivering, and he will completely turn impiety from Jacob. Now, do you see anything different in how Paul says it versus how Isaiah said it? Anybody? For those of you listening and don't have the Bibles in front of you, I will read it from Isaiah here. A redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob. Paul says, "There will come forth out of Zion, he who is delivering, and he will turn away impiety from Jacob." Yeah, there you go. Let me uh, let me pull this up for you. Whoop uh, this way side by side. On the left there is Isaiah. A Redeemer will come to Zion. Paul says the deliverer will come from Zion. That's quite a bit different, isn't it? A Redeemer will come to Zion, God says in Isaiah. Paul says a Redeemer will come from or out of Zion. Now, there's one more interesting thing here that uh, uh, whoever this guy, the wielder is, he's known this for years, or she who, well, good for you. Uh, for those who haven't known this for years, this may be new. So Isaiah is, the translation is from the Hebrew. This is what the Septuagint says, and I found a English translation for you. And the deliverer shall come for Zion, or for Zion's sake. Isn't that interesting? So the Hebrew says the deliverer will come to Zion. Then when they translated it into the Greek, they translated it the deliverer will come for Zion. And then, Paul says the deliverer will come from Zion. Isn't that interesting? So what's going on here? I think, I can't prove this, but I think Paul is reading it as a Christian. And he understands that this is not ultimately about a city called Jerusalem or Zion. It's not about the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant. It's about Jesus. This deliverer is Jesus. And now he recognizes the deliverer is coming out of Zion, out of Jerusalem to deliver Israel. Fascinating. And then the other change here is the Redeemer will come to Zion to turn, I'm sorry, to those who turn from transgression. So the repentant ones will receive the Redeemer. Here Paul says, the deliverer will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Again, a subtle change. But an important one. And one that makes sense in light of Christ. In light of Paul recognizing what Isaiah was really getting at, the deliverer, Jesus, is coming from Zion. And he is going to remove the wickedness, the ungodliness, from Jacob. He's certainly coming to the repentant ones, but it's a little different. He's going to actually remove this ungodliness from them. And then verse 27a, this is my covenant with them. Now that goes back to what he uh, said in Isaiah. And I want to finish this section of Isaiah. So the Redeemer is going to come. As for me, this is my covenant with them, my spirit, which is on you, right? There's a chapter break here, but Isaiah didn't put a chapter break in here. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Right? The Redeemer has come. Behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Nations are coming, kings, not just Jews. Lift up your eyes round about and see, they all gather, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar, your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. A multitude of camels will cover you and young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered together to you. The Rams of Neboeth will minister to you. They will go up with acceptance on my altar and I shall glorify my glorious house, my temple. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like the doves to their lattices? Surely the coastlands will wait for me. And the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar, their silver and their gold with them, their silver and—I'm sorry, I just read that. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. Foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you. And in my favor, I have had compassion on you. Your gates will be opened continually; they will not be closed day or night, so that men may bring to you the wealth of the nations, for their kings with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom which will not serve you will perish, and the nations will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. The juniper, the box tree, the cypress, together, the place of my, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I shall make the place of my feet, glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you. And those who despise you will bow themselves to the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an everlasting pride, a joy from generation to generation. You will also suck the milk of nations, suck the breast of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your savior. And your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I'll bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make peace, your administrators, and righteousness, your overseers. Violence will not be heard in you again, nor devastation or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor the brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. Then all your people will be righteous. How many? All. They will possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest one will become a clan, and the least one a mighty nation. I, the Lord, will hasten in its time. Then how does chapter 61 begin? Again, there's no chapter break here in the Hebrew. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Of course, Jesus told us that was about him. So, Israel, all Israel will be saved in this way. That's what the word so means. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Just as Isaiah wrote about it. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn away the impiety or ungodliness from Jacob. This is the covenant God made with the Deliverer. This is how all Israel will be saved. They come to the Redeemer, to the Deliverer. Well, how? How can they do it? They've been hardened. For that, come back on Monday. What's the timing of this? We'll see that on Monday. All right, I see uh, there was some conversation questions going on through here Let's see if I want to address any of these along the way uh, would God set up a remnant in the Old Testament a remnant in the apostolic time and a remnant now then all of a sudden give national salvation at the end um I don't see, yeah, I don't know. I don't know uh, where you're getting all those remnants. Uh, The fulfillment of these prophecies is given a few verses later. Yep. Uh, Child of Elohim says he took away the sins that he didn't impute to Jacob under the old covenant. Yeah, we'll we'll see that on Monday. Would God set up a... uh, Yeah, okay. Dale says, so Israel will be saved by Jesus, wiping out the bad ones and the good ones taking refuge in him. Ooh, getting somewhere. Uh, All right. So on Monday, tomorrow's Friday, so we'll do our uh, manhood stuff. Gentlemen, come back tomorrow. We'll talk about uh, some manhood things. On Monday, we're going to see how Paul quotes here at the end of verse 27 he doesn't continue with Isaiah 56. He quotes Isaiah 27. Sorry, I said Isaiah 56, 59. He quotes Isaiah 27. So if you want to get a jump start, go read 27 in his context and see if you can figure out something about the timing of all of this as Paul quotes that. You may not see it because the English doesn't help us. But it'll be worth our time to dig into it. Back to Bible says, should we keep in mind Paul's words in Romans 9 when considering the Israel he is speaking of? Yeah, there's nothing in the context that I see that suggests that when he says Israel, he means anything other than Israel. Uh, He's made a distinction between the Gentiles and Israel all the way through. And the believers from the Gentiles and the rejected among Israel. So there's nothing here that suggests that this all Israel would be including Gentiles that would push against everything. The distinction he's been making all the way along because he's not simply. And this is where our reformed theology gets us in trouble. He is not making a general statement about a remnant and all Israel being All saved ones, that is not the point in Romans 9 through 11. The remnant from Israel, as opposed to believing Gentiles, has been its point. So if you read this theologically, you're likely to make Romans 9 through 11 not about ethnic Israel. But Paul has not confused uh ethnic Israel and Christians, for instance. And that may be what Renee is getting at. Galatians six has a conceptual link somewhere. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think so. Uh well I don't know what you mean by that. But I I think Galatians six is talking about all true Israel, which would include believing Gentiles. I do not think that's what's happening here in Romans eleven. All right, I'm going to call it a day there and uh, we will pick it up on Monday. See you then.